uh, talk seven, the ministry of the word. And what I'm going to do with those seven bullet points on the front, I'm just going to try and sort of recap and summarise where we've got to so far. So um, I'll put on the screen the the title of the talk and then just a really short summary sentence uh, next to each one. Okay, so the introduction uh, in the first week, uh, we saw um, that the most fundamental human need of all is to hear the word of God. Um, this is counterintuitive and very easy to forget because we look around the world and our eyes tell us that there are great needs, desperate physical, social needs in the world. But remember what Jesus said to Martha in Luke 10. He said, only one thing is needed. So the, the most basic human need is to hear God's word. And that is the summary sentence. Only one thing needed. There is no more fundamental thing than to hear the word of God. That was our starting point. In the second week, we talked about why God must speak. Um, And we learned that for God to, sorry, for us to know God, God must reveal himself. Um, We cannot work God out by deduction uh, because we are creatures and God is transcendent and because we are sinful creatures and God is holy. We cannot find God by our own resources and we do not deserve to. But God has graciously revealed himself. And so the second summary sentence, only God can reveal God. In the third week, we then thought about the ways in which the Bible comes under attack and has done throughout history. We heard some alternative views which claim that the Bible is unreliable or irrelevant or just one of a number of ways in which God speaks to us today. And the summary sentence is Satan will do anything to stop people believing the word of God. Satan will do anything to stop people believing the word of God. In the fourth week, we talked about the word and the spirit. And we went back to the necessity of God's revealing himself. And from there, we considered the nature of the word of God. How is it possible if we are both creatures and sinful creatures of that, how is it possible that we can end up holding this reliable revelation of God in our hands? And the answer is the inspiration of scripture. That whole kind of area of of doctrine that tells us how ordinary human words could at the same time be the words of God because they've been written, they've been authored by the sovereign work of the Spirit. And so the slogan, the little catchphrase, the whole Bible is the result of the breath of God. Remember, the Bible has been breathed out uh, by God. And we also thought about the historical story, how they've been preserved through time. This then led us, fifthly, to think about the word of truth. And this is an implication of the inspiration of Scripture. Uh, We thought about the authority that the Bible has. If it is breathed out by God, then it is true, reliable, trustworthy and sufficient. And so the summary sentence, we can fully trust the Bible. And then last week, we talked about Jesus in the Bible. We actually came to think about what the Bible is actually about, that Jesus is the subject matter of the whole Bible and that the goal of reading and teaching the whole Bible, both the Old and the New Testament, um, is to see and understand Jesus as Lord. 
Well, that's what we've got to so far. And the summary sentence is, the Bible reveals Jesus, and Jesus is big. So if you miss any of those talks, go back on the website, have a listen to all the podcasts, um, and catch up. It's a very important topic, and you can see there how it all kind of fits together. Uh, But now... We come to the final uh, week and the ministry of the word. And I guess the the question is, so what? Well, what do we do with it? Um, And the answer is very logical in the light of what we've heard so far. If the greatest need humanity has is to hear God, then the greatest thing we can do is to get the word of God into people's hearts. And so remember our sort of phrase that we've been looking at each week, Christianity is the word of God bringing about faith in Christ by the spirit of God. How do we as ordinary human beings bring about faith in ourselves and other people? Well, we do it by the word of God. In other words, we have a ministry of the word. Um, If you want to put a catchphrase, a little sort of summary sentence against number seven, we are servants of the word. We are servants of of the word. That's what this seventh talk is about, servants of the word. Okay, first heading then is the goal of Christian ministry. And we're going to move from the big picture uh, to the kind of the nitty gritty in three steps. I know that this this, uh, will be familiar to some, in fact we've covered it uh, fairly recently in one or two places, but let's have a look at it um, to get our bearings. Um, Ephesians 1, 9 and 10 on the sheet. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfilment to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. God has revealed his big plan for the universe and I love diagrams with arrows. It looks like this. Here is a way of kind of picturing time and history and God's purpose. That what Ephesians 1, 9 and 10 is saying is that everything that is happening in the world is heading towards this one outcome, that Christ will be recognised as Lord. Have a look in the light of that, what he says in Ephesians 2 on the sheet, 2, 1 to 7, which I've summarised there. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Jesus. So in the coming ages, we're going to see something that we don't quite see now, the incomparable riches of God's kindness. But in the meantime, he has involved us in his plan by making us alive. See, those arrows that are facing the wrong way, they are the pre-Christian, unbelieving humanity. When we didn't acknowledge Jesus as Lord, we lived as if this plan of God were not true. And God, in his kindness, has woken us up by the gospel. He's turned us round to be a Christian, is to repent and believe. To turn away from the life that you were living for the kingdom of darkness and to now live for Christ. And so if that is your experience, everything has changed, hasn't it? If you are now a Christian, you haven't just adopted a new hobby. Your whole life has been turned around. The whole purpose of your existence has been turned around. 
And the implication is if you're not yet a Christian, then you need to turn around. You need to repent and believe and stop living for the dying world and the world of darkness and start living for Christ. But you can also see from that how Christian ministry begins to make sense in the light of it. Because as we live in this new direction, facing the reality that God has revealed, we, all, we almost can't help but to be witnesses to those around us who are still in darkness. This is exactly what we're seeing in 1 Peter on Sunday mornings. Live good, such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of evil, they will see the goodness of your life and glorify God on the day he visits, the day that he comes to judge. And so this is the ministry that God has given us to speak the word into the world, to tell others the truth about Jesus so they'll turn around too. Well, that's uh, God's plan revealed. But there's another step we need to look at, which is that God demonstrates that plan in the church. So have a look at Ephesians 2, uh, 19 and following. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And him, in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Now, you know what's going to happen here? These arrows are going to get together and they're going to form little churches. Don't be put off by the fact that some of them are now facing the wrong way. It's just a, it's just a diagram. Um, but because Paul here picks up the metaphor of the Old Testament temple, Solomon built the temple with stones. Jesus is building his church one brick at a time. And the church is therefore gathering as the gospel is preached. That's why, verse 20, is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Jesus as the cornerstone. It is the word that grows the church. This is what Jesus is doing in the world. And that's what he was referring to when he says consequently in verse 9. Because in the previous passage, he's been describing the way the blood of Christ has brought people who were previously alienated together into this church. So what is the church, according to Paul? The church is Jesus and the people he is gathering. That is what the church is. Which means if you are someone who's had your life turned around, church then becomes very significant in your life. When people become Christians, one of the signs that they are genuinely converted, that the Holy Spirit is working in their life, that they they start loving other Christians and they start wanting to gather with them. And you see this transition happen from finding any excuse to avoid church to any excuse to be at church, to be with those God is gathering for the future gathering of the church in the new creation. And therefore, while in the first diagram, the little arrows were kind of witnessing to other little arrows and it feels a little bit kind of like we're on our own, actually, it's something we do together. Have a look at chapter 3, verse 10 and 11. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Remember that in Ephesians, Paul is writing to Jews and Gentiles. And he's saying this church has brought these two groups together. 
Because in Christ, there is no Jew and Gentile now. That barrier has been removed. And I think Paul, in these two verses in chapter 3, he wants us to stand back and be amazed at this. And say, actually, there's nowhere else you're going to see this. There's nowhere else on earth you're going to see these relationships happening that have been where the barrier has been broken by the gospel. And that's what he means by the manifold wisdom. The church is like a kind of a, a diamond with lots of little edges that you can see as you turn it round in the light. You see lots of little sparkly edges. And the manifold wisdom of God is that people from all tribes and tongues are being brought in by the one power of the gospel, gathered around Christ. And the idea is, and I think we talked about this yesterday at Spur, didn't we, at one point, if you were here. The idea is that the, the universe looks on and just says, wow, the gospel works. Jesus has won and we can see it in the church. But we don't just stay there. Third thing, notice what happens now. Ephesians 4, um, over the page. I'll just read it for the sake of time. Um, Ephesians 4, 1 to 13. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. Now, if you weren't at Spur yesterday, grab someone over dinner who was here, because you'll get an invitation next time, and ask them to unpack this whole thing a little bit more than we've got time for now. But the thing I want to draw your attention to is that the church is something that is going to grow by the ministry of every Christian. Paul says the church is being built up and I want to focus on that language of building. It's very handy that we've got a building site outside, isn't it? We can see this kind of building taking shape. Interestingly, when we come on a Sunday, there's no builders there. But if you were to come midweek, you would see lots of scurrying activity. You'd see those diggers being used by people with hard hats. You'd see a couple of guys with clipboards. Um, if you went into the training room downstairs, you'd see a couple of guys with their flasks of tea and their cans of coke and using our heaters and using lots and lots of our electricity to keep warm with the door open. I have noticed that. Um, you'd see them busily pouring over these plans and going out and getting wet and building bricks and all sorts of different things happening. And this is the image that I think is closest to church building in the Bible, that there is a, there is a building project going on. Not a building project of bricks and mortar, but a building project in which everybody is involved together uh, to build the church. And that is what Ephesians 4 uh, is telling us. And so final uh, glimpse of the diagram, hopefully, is that the church grows. And the church grows through the word, which is our next heading, the means of Christian ministry. So the goal is for the church that Jesus is gathering uh, to be gathered to declare the praises and the glory of God to the universe. And the means is the word of God. So let's take a closer look how this actually works. How does the word grow the church? Well, in the light of what we've seen so far, for God's plan to happen, two things must happen simultaneously. Firstly, people must make that great change from living for themselves to living for Christ. They must repent and believe. People must be converted. People who God has chosen and predestined must bow the knee to Jesus. And the Bible has various powerful ways of describing this, doesn't it? 
to move from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, to move from death to life, to be born again, to be born into that imperishable world in 1 Peter 1. Various powerful ways. People have got to be converted. But once you're converted, the work of the word doesn't stop. Secondly, people need to be built up and strengthened and taught and equipped to reach maturity in Christ. That building work carries on. And the good news is that both of these things happen simultaneously as the word of God is taught. So have a look at Romans 10 on the sheet. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. See what Paul is saying here, that no one is going to become a Christian unless they hear the gospel preached. And therefore, we need to preach the gospel. And in the letter to the Romans, he makes it clear that you become a Christian not by good works, but by grace. That's the whole point, isn't it? Which is why faith is crucial for everyone. It takes faith to take hold of the gospel. A good picture to illustrate this is if you were to see a drowning person and you had a life ring... All they've got to do to take hold of the life ring is to grab it that you throw. That is faith. There's nothing clever or meritorious about that. He's grabbing hold of the rescue. And so Romans 10, as you bring the word to people, the response is faith, trusting the word. That's what we're looking for. We'll have a look at Ephesians 1 then. The Lord's message rang out from you. Not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. The word of God actually brings about that change, that transformation, that once in a lifetime change that Paul reports in the Thessalonians. And then look finally at Colossians 1, 28 to 29, where we see the maturity that Paul is looking for um, in everybody by the proclamation of the word. We proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so we may present everyone mature in Christ. And this is what I'm doing, Paul says, with all the labour, with all the energy that God gives me. There's the work of the Lord to call people from maturity that change of direction, that new life, a lifetime of growth in Christ, all by the word of God. And it's the word that does it completely. Well, come then to the third point. Finally, what does it mean in practice? It means we are called to be servants of the word. We are called to Christian ministry. As we discussed yesterday, for those who were here, the call is a word the Bible uses for all Christians. It is not this idea of a special, unique, vocational call that some of us will receive and others won't receive. The call is to be a Christian. Have a look at Ephesians 4 verse 1. 
uh, on the top of the, uh, that uh, part of the page. As a prisoner of the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. So if you're a Christian, you have received the call to be a servant of the word. And also, if you're not a Christian, you are also being called because there is a general call in the Bible, a call to trust Christ and turn to him. So there's nobody in this room who is not being called by God in some way. But there isn't a specific call, I don't think, that says some people are going to be singled out to have a particular role. And what that means is three things. Firstly, it means a mind shift. It means a mind shift in the way we think about church. For many people, many Christians, church is where you come to worship God. Church is where you come to kind of top up your spiritual batteries. But we know, don't we, that you come to worship God when you make that initial transformation. You become a worshipper of God in every area of life. So everything you do now as a Christian is is worship, whether it's earning money or giving money or making a meal or studying for an exam or coming to church. It's all worship, which is why we don't use the language of worship specifically for church or what we do in church. It's also a mind shift because we now know as we come to church, we are coming to a building site. Now, we, we are literally coming to a building site, but we're always coming to a metaphorical building site, a place where we go to work, not just to absorb, but to work, to benefit other people by actually building others up, which is one of the greatest reasons to get out of bed and go to church. Because every time you come, you are kind of, communicating to everybody else in church that actually they matter and you want to play a part in building them into maturity. And if you're not there, if, if your seat is empty, then you can't do that. So there's the mindset, the shift in thinking that we go to church to work and we listen with a view to serving other people. If you're a servant of the word, you don't just kind of listen and absorb and drink it all in and enjoy it yourself. You listen with, a, with half a mind on how this can then benefit other people. And the more of those other people you have in your life, the more you will listen. You will notice this. If you have people in your life who you are trying to disciple, you know, perhaps from your own children or people you're teaching in a, in a Sunday school group or people in your real food group or a non-Christian friend you've brought or someone you've met at Campus Bible Talk, whoever it is, there's someone you're trying to encourage and disciple you will start listening to the word in a particular way you'll start hearing sermons differently you'll be a more proactive listener you'll be thinking how can this not just encourage me but how can this encourage them it's a mind shift in other words we're all servants of the word not just the people who speak it up front we're all taking that word letting the word uh, reverberate in the church so that other people grow and are built into maturity. Well, I hope that is, is kind of part of our DNA. I hope we're sitting there thinking, yes, we've, we, we're familiar with this stuff. If that's the case, then, then that's good. But what about the rest of your life? Well, secondly, a life ambition. If it's the word that grows the church, that is the thing that Jesus is doing, then it seems to me that all of us 
would want to make serving the word a lifetime ambition. Whatever that means in practice. Whatever that means in terms of your day job. How are you going to earn a living? And regardless of the particular gifts that God has given you, if that is what God is doing, then we want to be involved in that, don't we? It doesn't mean we're all going to be preachers. It doesn't mean that we're all going to be gifted Bible study leaders or anything like that. But in some way, our ministry is going to enable others to hear the word. I mentioned this yesterday at Spur, this idea of the career the idea of a career comes from a French word, to pursue single-mindedly, to pursue something headlong. And we said, didn't we, if you were here, that Christians therefore have one career, the pursuit of the service of Christ. And therefore your day job is secondary to that. Even the decision to go into full-time ministry is secondary to the pursuit of gospel ministry as a lifetime ambition. And some people ought to be thinking seriously about set-apart ministry. Some people ought to be thinking they're going to give up their their day job so they can focus on this full-time. But the bigger issue is, what is your life ambition? What is the thing that your life is going to be about? Well, I want to suggest that Jesus wants you to be a servant of the word, to be involved in growing his kingdom. And therefore, can I encourage you to get as equipped as you can to do that? Um, Joe's mentioned NYC. Make sure you come to that. Bible skills that we run occasionally, videos, uh, resources, books we can recommend. (coughs) Use every opportunity to get skilled and tooled up and equipped to understand and teach the word. But you might be thinking, well, where do I start? How do I start? Well, thirdly, a great question to ask. Is there one person that you could read the Bible with in the coming year? To to get good at this and to have confidence that the word really does work, we need to do it. We need to put it into practice. And so I want to challenge you this year, if you're not already in a kind of Bible reading relationship, to find one, whether it's with another Christian that you can just encourage or, or one of your three, two, one friends that you can pray that by the end of the year you could be opening a gospel with. But can we put that in our kind of bucket list? Not swim with dolphins, not, you know, go to America, whatever, but make your bucket list for this year to read the Bible with one other person if you're not already doing it. Um, my friend Jerry Straker, who's the pastor of Church by the Bay, He has done some math and he worked out that if we were to hold an evangelistic event with a thousand people every night and they all got converted and this went on every night, it would take 19,006 years for the world to be converted. That's a pretty spectacular evangelistic event, isn't it? Every night a thousand people come, a thousand people get converted for 19,000 years, the whole world would get converted. But he said this, he said, if one Christian read the Bible with one non-Christian this year and that person became a Christian and then they both read the Bible with one other person the next year and the next year all four did the same so that each year the numbers are doubling, then it would take just 33 and a half years to bring the whole world to faith, if God so willed. 
Now, you can do a lot with statistics, can't you? And I can see the mathematicians and the engineers are kind of, their brain is fuzzing, and I'm going to check that when I get home. Well, <laughs> well, you check it out and tell me what you come up with. I don't want to push it too hard because God is not mechanistic and the Bible's not mechanistic. And for every three people you read the Bible with, perhaps two will fall away and so on. But the point is, this is a wonderful strategy, isn't it? To bring people to faith. And we might think, well, you know, we need these massive events where we get a big crowd into a room and, you know. But actually, it's something each of us can do just by this simple question, which takes a bit of guts to ask it. Will you read the Bible with me? And when you do sit down and you open Mark's Gospel, there will be some butterflies on that first occasion. I remember reading the Bible with a guy and he was sort of smoking roll-ups and all this kind of thing while I was reading the Bible with him. And, he, and I was asking him questions and he'd never been to a Bible study before. And he said, he just turned around at one point and said, I feel like I'm back at school. And he said some other sort of language in the midst of that. Hard at first. And I said, I know what you mean. Let's just keep trying it. And after a few weeks, we got into the routine and it was absolutely fine. And you can just say, look, this might feel a bit weird, but, I, but I'm just going to ask you a few questions and we're going to discuss the passage and we'll see how it goes. I hope that's okay with you. Give it a try. Get going in the ministry of the word and trust God to do his work and bring people uh, to Jesus. So conclusion, Ephesians 1, 9 and 10. God has made known his will. He is putting into effect the lordship of Christ. And we get to be part of what God is doing. And we get to do it in the way that brings us the least glory. Because it's all about him. We open this book. looks so weak and hopeless in one sense. But God actually sows seeds uh, that do marvellous things. And so let's be committed to the ministry of the word.